Hello, welcome to the Skewer Podcast. Uh, the Skewer is a live monthly news review that satirizes the news of the stupid month that uh, preceded it. This month's show is The Skewer Presents the Whiskey Journal Live, featuring all writers from the Whiskey Journal, a uh, satirical newspaper in Chicago. Uh, this show was recorded on May 4th, 2016 at Chicago's Cafe Mustache. I hope you like it. Thank you all for coming to what I hope is the last skewer that I have to wear my winter coat to. Uh, we have had seven, and they've all been cold. Weird. Anyway, so if you haven't been to the skewer, uh, we are a monthly live satirical news review where we have people make fun of the news from the previous month. We have people reading op-eds. We have people reading debates. It's great. You'll love it. Uh, my name is Tom Harrison. I'm your host for this evening. And uh, we, we got a theme this evening. And that theme is the Whiskey Journal Live. Uh, yes. who, who's familiar with the Whiskey Journal? If you are unfortunate enough to not know of the Whiskey Journal, they are Chicago's second favorite fake news source after some other site. Something about onions. I don't care. Not important or anything. I mean, like, we, we could get on there if we really tried, but, like, we don't even want to. <laughs> so anyway, yes, all six of our, our op-ed readers and our two debaters are writers from the Whiskey Journal, as am I. And uh, you know what? Let's just, let's just get right to it. Woo! We're our first op-ed reader. Uh, he is a comic and Whiskey Journal writer. He has a video series called Having a Few. Let's, let's give it up for Josh Ballou. All right, give it up for Tom. Thank you guys so much for coming out tonight. This is not working. This is going to be great. Um, I'm going to start off by not touching that. All right. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself before I get into this. Uh, my name is Josh. I am 27. And I'm what happens when a Chia Pet fucks a social anxiety disorder. <laughs> In addition to that, I am the product of a biracial relationship. Um, what that means is my dad is black, and my mom is a sheet of computer printer paper. Uh, <laughs> she is super white. Um, she makes khaki pants look like a dashiki. Uh, you can basically you can basically see right through her. Um, and some people, when they find out that I'm half black, uh, have questions for me, like, uh, "Did you mean Jewish?" or <laughs> or "Are you lying?" Uh, and uh, in my in my mind, I don't really know how to respond to this because I've never thought to lie about something like that. Um, like I'm all for lying, but that just seems that just seems too much. Like too many stereotypes to try and like keep in order. Um, and in addition to that, like if I were going to to lie about what race I was, why would I pick like the one that's been the oppressed the most like in the history of humanity? Like I did not wake up one morning. Uh, and think to myself, like, oh yeah, um, racial background is like a choose-your-own-adventure book, and I'm going to pick the one with the highest difficulty setting. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, that's that's not what happened. I mean, we're talking about uh, racial background here, not uh, not sexual orientation. You know, you can't you can't pick pick that. You know. uh, all right, I'm glad you guys. I'm glad you guys realized that was a joke. Um, so, with that all in mind, I'd like to uh, move on to the story from April that uh, kind of influenced this this segment tonight, and that is the story that Rachel Dolezal got a book deal. Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, some of you may remember Rachel Dolezal, some of you may not. Uh, I'll bring us back to June of 2015 when we were first introduced to her. Uh, Rachel Dolezal, according to my research, uh, was, research, I mean Wikipedia page, um, perusing. She was the former African uh, history instructor uh, and former president of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, NAACP, in Spokane, Washington. Uh, for about a year until she resigned following allegations that she'd been lying about her race in addition to different aspects of her biography, including uh, that she was born in a teepee. That her <laughs> that, that's true, that her family lived in that teepee, and that they hunted for food with a bow and arrow. Not making any of that up. Uh, she came to the media's attention uh, after her parents made like a public statement that she had been uh, posing as a black woman when she was a white woman from Montana. Um, in addition to this, uh, her parents made a statement after she had made a statement that she had been um, the victim of not one, but nine hate crimes. Yeah, greedy. Um, uh, I, I think it's coming back to you guys. Um, for a visual reference, if you can't remember what she looked like, uh, Rachel Dolezal kind of looks like me. Um, just without glasses and a little less feminine. Um, I apologize to the podcast listeners um, in the future. Now, for a few days, uh, she dominated the media. She was all over Facebook and Twitter and CNN. Um, and as a biracial person, uh, when, when this story came out, I was living in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I'm a place not known, no. A place not known. I mean, woo, but not in this context. Uh, a place not known for like whatever the opposite of segregation is. Like I had some opinions on this story. Um, firstly, being um, th this was littered with red flags. The first red flag being that if your parents are snitching on you, you're for sure white. Uh, <laughs> like, without a doubt, you're for sure white. Uh, that's like the first thing they teach you in Caucasian school. Like if all else fails, you can snitch. Uh, Second, uh, second red flag is that if you have to tell people you're black, you're definitely not black. Um, I know this from personal experience. Um, just reference the first minute when I said I was black and you guys were like, is he? I don't, I don't think he is. Um, thirdly, and probably the most like impressive and surprising part of the story was the fact that there is a chapter of the NAACP in Spokane, Washington. Um, that, this whole news story should have just been uh, breaking news. Black people spotted organizing in Washington. Um, I've never been to Spokane, Washington, but the fact that the people of Spokane could be duped into thinking that somebody who looks like me uh, could be black makes me think that they've never seen one in real life. Um, it makes me think, you know, like the first time you saw a dick or a vagina or genitalia of any of any kind, and the only thing you have as a point of reference is like a Google incognito search, image search window, and you're just like, I guess this is what they look like, I don't know, I've never seen one in real life. Um, I mean, I have, but you guys, you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, in addition to this, Rachel uh, Dolezal had actually benefited financially from this lie. She received a full scholarship to uh, the historically black Howard University. Uh, to pursue a fine arts degree, a very white thing to do. Um, 
And like I understand uh, she like slipping past and fooling all of Spokane, Washington, but Howard University, like how did that happen? You're you are full of black people. Like you should know what what they look like. And even according to her father, eyes are popping and jaws are dropping regarding the fact that a white girl received such a considerable scholarship from Howard, adding that Rachel was not posing as black, but she did quote sound black on the phone. Um, yeah, that's reasonable. <laughs> Why would the admissions office need to look any further into someone's application? It's just like, yeah, they sound black on the phone. Um, it's very weird. Um, moving to 2002, she actually filed a lawsuit against Howard University, claiming that she had been the victim of racial discrimination, but denied teaching opportunities and additional scholarship funds. Yeah, can we pause for a second and... Uh, just forget about her lying about her race and acknowledge the like the balls that it takes uh, for her to like claim she didn't get enough money like and she's like just neck deep in this lie. She didn't end up winning that lawsuit. Um, a few days passed and like the media moved on to other things. Uh, according to a 2015 news article, she actually works in a salon doing African braids. Um, yeah. So let's fast forward to a few weeks ago. Um, the news came out that she not only has a book deal, but she also is going to write it on race. Um, yeah, according to this article by The Guardian, Dolezal, who is somehow still identifying as a civil rights activist, is excited to write about not only her own story, but also the stories of others who have been caught between the boundary lines of race or culture or ethnicity. And I think the key word in that statement is caught, you know? <laughs> like how criminals are caught, or how liars are caught. Um, regarding self-identifying as a black woman, Dolezal continues in the article stating, uh, this has been a lifelong journey, this is not something that I cash in, cash out, change up, do it at a convenience to freak people out, or to make people happy. If somebody asks me how I identify, I identify as black. Nothing about whiteness describes who I am. Wow. Um, I don't really know why she's bothering giving braids. She's got the chops of like a world-class character actor. She's committed to this bit fully. Um, I have to take my hat off to her. And personally, I don't know if this is like the worst thing for race relations in America or um, something even beyond that, like something worse than the worst thing. Uh, because this thing, once she has this book out, it's not only going to feed her ego, but it's also going to make like just race relations uh, more, more confusing and like make mixed people like myself just feel like we have to defend ourselves because of idiots like her. Uh, now the book is slated to be released in March of 2017. It's being published by Ben Bella Books. They're based in Dallas, Texas, another city known for its equal treatment of people of color. Uh, I was browsing the website and uh, looking at their list of best-selling books, I'd like to share with you some of them that aren't Dolezal's, but based on the titles, very well could be. Uh, the first title we have is Collapse of Dignity by Napoleon Gomez. Uh, the second title we have Presumed Guilty by Jose Baez. Uh, and this third one is the best, <clears throat> Black Woman Redefined by Sophia A. Nelson. Um, so after seeing these best-selling titles, I, of course, had to come up with some of my own. Um, this first one, ooh, my boyfriend's black, and so am I. Um, black by unpopular demand. Um, and finally, um, fade to black, if Metallica lets her do that. Um, so in closing, I mean, like, as long as uh, black people and People of color are cooler than white people. I don't think there's really any way we're going to stop cultural appropriation, unfortunately. 
Um, so what can we do as a diverse nation? Well, I think we can just realize that everybody has their own benefits, their own culture, you know, unique to themselves, and just learn to be comfortable in it. Um, and also to not buy her stupid book. Um, thank you guys so much. Thank you, Josh. Awesome. Uh, I remember when the Rachel Dolezal news broke. Before I saw a picture of her, I'm like, it, it, passing for a black woman, that's not something a white person can do. It's not something, like, I wouldn't be capable of passing for a black person. She must be, like, abnormally tan. Then I saw a picture of her, and I was like, maybe I could. <laughs> anyway, next to the stage is uh, in credits that will become increasingly familiar as the night wears on, a comedian and whiskey journal writer, uh, Eric Stassen. Come on up, man. Fantastic headline uh, reading uh, Don Henley alive at 68. <laughs> and he wrote this very funny, great, great take, very funny article about how Lane Don Henley is the Eagles and what an asshole Don Henley is, which he certainly is. Um, but uh, but um, just for some real talk here, I just want to, I just want to, my, my uh, I'm, I'm going to, uh, my purpose here tonight is to sort of rebut the thrust of Cole's article. And I'm going to do so. Uh, yeah, if, if you need to run crime from the room, that's okay. Don't worry. Um, and uh, and uh, how I'm going to do this, uh, Don Henley, believe it or not, you may not all agree with this necessarily, but Don Henley is in fact one of our nation's great songwriters. The Eagles are one of the great bands of the 70s. And, huh, huh, and, if you don't believe so, if you don't believe so, you are... Uh, Statistically incorrect. <laughs> Let me explain. Let me explain. Okay, so, um, what makes something great? Okay, what, 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 what does it mean to say Shakespeare is great? What does it mean to say uh, Don Giovanni by Mozart is a masterpiece? Well, the thing is, if you pull it apart and pull it apart and you try and point out spots of it where this part is great, and that's what makes it great. Or this sentence, or this, this aria, or this, this soliloquy is great. Uh, the problem with that is, if you, if you, if you then go into uh, annoying five-year-old child mode and ask, why does that matter? Why does that matter? Over and over and over again, 
All you end up with eventually, as with the conversation with a five-year-old child, is saying, because I said so. <laughs> That's all there ultimately is. It really is. Because I said so. That's what makes things great, is because everyone says so. Why is uh, Da Vinci one of the greatest visual artists of all time? Because everyone agrees he is. If you took a survey and said, who, is, who are the ten greatest uh, visual artists of all time in the, in the uh, European tradition? Every single one of them would say, Da Vinci is on that list. And most of them would say, probably all of them would say Van Gogh is on that list. And then someone like Monet, you'd be like, well, yeah, some people would say, yeah, Monet, absolutely. The pinnacle of Impressionism, he's on that list. Other people, eh, not so much. Very good, but not so much. So he's not on that list necessarily. He's a little further down. And all that means is, so you're ranking on this list of all-time greatness. People like to make these lists and things. And, and all it is is, is uh, lifetime is consensus. It's just popularity. Well, there's one more component, which is time. Popularity over time. We have to account for things that are wildly popular for a short period of time, and then not so popular anymore, right? Okay, so most things that are popular for a while fall into that category, especially if they're things from my childhood, the 1980s, the decade that taste forgot. <laughs> for example, oh, you know what would be great? What if instead of putting your, your keys in your pants pocket and your, your wallet in your, in your back pocket, what if you just had like a little pouch here in the front and you wear that around your waist? Holy shit, that's a great idea. I would wear the shit out of that thing. <laughs> What do you call it, a fanny pack? Fantastic. But am I going to look like an idiot in pictures 20 years from now? No, no. How did I know? I, I couldn't have known. There was no way to know. There was no warning. There should have been a warning label. Maybe like a, like a, a diagram of a couple in missionary position with a slash through it. There was no warning label. There was no way to know. But anyway. Okay, so, so how do you know... So time is the second component of greatness. Greatness, in a historical sense, is simply popularity over time. That's all it is. There's nothing else you can, you can add to that, mathematically. Okay? And, wait, lost my train of thought here. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, so you, when you're talking about listings and rankings and so forth, there's really only two kinds of statements you can make. You can either make a statement that acknowledges what the consensus is, something like Thriller is one of the greatest albums of the 1980s, or you can express an opinion that is counter to that consensus. Um, for example, in my personal case, I would say, personally, uh, Thriller is good but not great. Michael Jackson's best album is actually On the Wall, Off the Wall. <laughs> Something like that. Kind of undermines my case when I say You know, the one with his great hit, Rock On You. <laughs> oh, and don't stop till you get a lot. Anyway. Right. So anyway. So it's a, it's a good recovery, right? Yeah. Uh, so it's perfectly okay to disagree with the, with the official historical consensus. Everyone does. No one agrees 100% with like, the official best things in all things. But just notice that there is a consensus, that, that it exists, and it has already been determined for things that happened in the past. 
Okay, so you might be thinking, let's get back to the Eagles. How can that be? How can the Eagles possibly be one of the great bands of all time? Everyone I know thinks that the Eagles are lame, right? Everyone kind of knows. But that's why the headline worked, right? Okay, well, but consider this. Here's another truth bomb I'm going to drop on you. Okay, everyone you know, all of your friends and everything that have these opinions, this is an incredibly, incredibly tiny, small, small, small bubble of people. A tiny, tiny little niche that has almost no relation at all to the overall public, the general public. A tiny, tiny little niche. Consider this. Just yesterday, next door, over 400,000 people expressed their opinion, took time out of their day to express their opinion that the next president of the United States should be should be Ted Cruz. Can you believe that shit? <laughs> Who are these people? <laughs> right? I mean, not anybody I know. And yet they're out there. And they have opinions, and their opinions factor into this overall thing of like, you know, of what makes greatness. They count too. They shouldn't, but they do. <laughs> it's just the way it works. So, if you're in a little niche and you're like, yeah, the Eagles are lame. Everyone I know thinks the Eagles is lame. And, and instead, I you know, like, well, the music we like is, I don't know, like Arcade Fire? Is that a good, like, Logan Square, is that a good Logan Square type of band? Yeah. All right, sure, sure, okay. Arcade Fire, fair enough. Okay, so, and you're sitting here in your tiny, tiny little niche, and you're poking fun at that niche over there where people like the Eagles, and you don't even think there's anyone in that niche. That niche is bigger than your niche. It's much bigger. It's way bigger. And it's not just filled with old people like me. <laughs> Believe me. And how can I prove this? Now I have real facts to back this up. Okay, because here are some actual facts, not just opinions that are, have the weight of fact. Okay. So, so the, the Eagles Greatest Hits Volume 1 is not only the second highest selling album of all time behind Thriller. But last week, it was one of the top 50 albums downloaded on iTunes. Last week, present tense. What? Yes. <laughs> and I can tell you one thing for sure. There is not one person my age or older who is downloading the Eagles Greatest Hits. <laughs> okay? Not one person. Because all of us, anyone my age or older, has heard all of those songs a million times. And we know exactly what we think of them. And there was a decision made long ago. Either, yes, this is good music, I want this to be part of my life. Or, no, fuck this band, I never want to hear it again. And that decision is carved in stone. Okay? You know what's not going to happen? There's zero probability that I will wake up tomorrow morning and decide, you know who was actually a good band in the 80s? Bon Jovi. <laughs> Why don't I own any Bon Jovi recordings? I need to go on iTunes and download Slippery When Wet. That will never happen if I live to 120. That day will never come. Okay. So who instead is downloading these, these Eagles albums? Young people, young people like you, are discovering the Eagles for the first time and liking it. That's what's scary. Maybe they're, they're probably all Ted Cruz voters. Or something. But they are still young people. Okay? So, 
Why do, so why don't you like the Eagles? Why doesn't anyone like the Eagles? Well, I have two thoughts on this. One is, um, well, first of all, what's not to like? But I think I can identify exactly why most of you who don't like the Eagles don't like the Eagles. And then what I'll do is I'll share a few little quick excerpts of like why I happen to like the Eagles, okay? So the reason I suspect that you don't like the Eagles, if you don't, which seems to be the majority opinion here, has almost nothing to do with uh, the songwriting itself. And in fact, is based on the production values, the way it sounds. That's what you don't like, right? Now, I get that, and it's funny, because production values, on the one hand, are like a completely dumb and superficial reason not to like something. And on the other hand, they're totally why none of us like the, like the music that we don't. That's absolutely the reason, myself included. I wouldn't exclude myself from that. So, you know, back when I was a little kid, back in the old days, and we had to live, you know, you, and we would go on a big car trip, and you'd listen to your cassette as many times as you got sick of it, and then you needed some new music to listen to. You would turn on the radio, not satellite radio, terrestrial radio, okay, and you would flip around the stations and try and find something to listen to. And the amazing thing, we would make these decisions in like half a second. You would immediately know this is a good station or no, I don't want to hear this. Okay, and so like for in my case, if I was listening to the station and I heard someone sing or sound like this, or I heard a singer that sounds like this, or, or unfortunately, it's a little more embarrassing to admit, but if I heard someone who wasn't singing at all but who was spitting lots of words, then I decided that was not something that I particularly wanted to hear. Just like that, in like a split second. Okay, so all of us do the same thing, and that's totally normal. For other people, maybe you would immediately decide you don't want to hear it if it sounds like this. A lot of people are like, nope, nope, not jazz, nope. Or if it sounds something more like this. Uh, let me see here. I'm telling you, it's good stuff. So, you know, here's the thing, though. With, with, uh, with, uh, with production values, you can acclimate yourself to production values over time. And, you know, it's worth, you know, life is short. And if there's music or art out there that, that, that people, that has given joy to millions of people for decades, if not centuries... Maybe worth trying it out, you know. Like, you know, you don't want to miss out too much. And and I and I found like, you know, for example, as a friend just linked to some like Queens of the Stone Age, I'm like, damn, that's good. <laughs> Shit, I need to, it helps that the singer doesn't sound like Cookie Monster all the time. <laughs> or another thing like Kendrick Lamar, I've seen him a couple times on like Colbert and late nights. I'm like. Fuck, man, that guy has really got some chops. That guy has done some amazing shit. It's not totally my thing, but that guy is really good at what he's doing. I need to maybe like expand my little, my little circle a little bit there. Okay, so then the last thing I'm going to conclude with here. Sorry if I'm running out of the gun 20 minutes already. Anyway, um, so why do I like the Eagles particularly? That's the only thing I can really say. Well, I would say, you know, what are the qualities of the Eagles? The production values don't bother me. It's exactly what I'm used to hearing, grew up with, hearing all kinds of music like that. Sounds fine. 
Um, the lyrics are, you know, relatively non-embarrassing, which is pretty high praise for the 70s. There are some really great songs. I love the band America, but there are some really embarrassing-ass lyrics coming from the 70s in great songs. I mean, you know, Horse With No Name. For God's sake, there were plants and birds and rocks and things. The heat was hot. They needed to try a little harder on that. Anyway. So the lyrics are okay, don't bother me. And then musically, I feel like they strike a really nice balance between like simplicity and complexity. They have some nice little complex things that they sort of work in, but they're subtle. And uh, like harmony, for example. Now this is one of the things that, as a grumpy old man, I get really sad about. Like harmony, jazz harmony, interesting chromatic harmony, used to be a thing and now it's not. It's just not anymore. At least not in like the ubiquitous pop music that is so out there and so present everywhere that even I hear it. It's just not a thing anymore. You used to have songs that started out like this. Like, right? And now you have songs like this. Such a great riff, I think I'll play it 200 more times. I mean, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's just like chromatic harmony has just like disappeared. And it's not necessary for a good song, but it's like it's totally disappeared from the environment. I don't know what happened. Like they issued all the, all the songwriters key, keyboards with no white, with only white keys on it. I mean, even someone I really like, like Adele, for example. I mean, great, great singer, writes emotional songs, beautiful melodies, but the harmony is just like... It's just, it is basic as well. And I mean that in the current lexicon. Simple, obvious, overrated. I mean, you know, I don't know what's going on. And even within, if you only use the white keys, there are still options that, that no one explores. Like this chord, for example. B half diminished. Pretty cool chord, right? Just white keys. No, is this chord in any song that has been written in the last 10 years? Any pop song that is? Any big hit song? It's like, how can you, well, how could you write a song, hit song with that? Well, how about like this? genius like Prince or, or, or Stevie Wonder? No, just like this totally random one-hit wonder guy, Matthew Wilder, I even had to Google him to remember who it is, wrote that great song. So back to the Eagles. So, 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 so Cole, calls out, Cole calls out Witchy Woman. So let's look at Witchy Woman for a second, all right? Here's a couple things that I like about Witchy Woman. Interesting harmony, little bits like this. So for example, this chord. Kind of nice, right? Interesting. Not what you hear in every single Taylor Swift song. So. A minor over G, G minor. Or G13, G minor 13 maybe you could say. Anyway. Kind of a cool little thing that they just uh, flip in. And it's not like super obvious, pretentious or whatever. It's just like, oh, it's nice. And then like the background vocals. Right in the chorus. 
check this, check out all the shit that's going on in here. And they're singing this, you know, in close four-part harmony. It goes like this if I don't mess it up. There's a lot of, like, so, so nominally over this D7 chord, there's even this, like, there's even this, like, really chromatic line, like, you know? Kind of cool. They just sort of throw it in there, and, like, that's done, you know? It's, it's just, like, really nice, I think. They're little things like that, little details. But again, why is it, what, why does that matter? Why does that matter? Because I said so, that's why. <laughs> anyway, by the way, I happen to have perfect pitch, not to brag, but, and it took me, like, 15, 20 minutes to, like, to work that out to make sure I was representing it properly. Did not take me 15 or 20 minutes to figure out California girls. <laughs> just saying. Okay, so now you're saying, okay, well, that's not a fair comparison. I mean, okay, Katy Perry, that's music for 14-year-old girls, right? Versus Stevie Wonder, versus Prince, versus Don Henley. But that's the thing. It is a fair comparison. Because Stevie Wonder and Don Henley are not like these, like, obscure, you know, peripheral figures with cult followings like Lou Reed or Frank Zappa or something. They were writing ubiquitous massive radio hits that everyone heard over and over again. So, so to compare them to current great musicians like, I don't know, Andrew Bird or Esperanza Spaulding, that's apples to oranges, okay? The, Katy Perry is the equivalent of Stevie Wonder nowadays, and that shows you how far music has fallen, <laughs> okay? Not all music. But again, the pop music that is so well-known, that's so ubiquitous, that even I notice it. Okay, so, la last thing, and I'll get up here because I've been here a half hour already. But, but whose fault is it that pop music is so bad now? I have an answer for you. It is my fault. It is my fault, both in terms of my generation and in terms of me personally. Okay? Now, I think that when music historians look back from the year 2100 and they look back at, like, what is the low point in pop music, I'm pretty confident that they will come up with the, with the decade 1995 to 2005 as the absolute nadir of pop music. Okay, yes, you had Radiohead. But let's look at what else was on the scene there. New metal, boy bands, right? Hoobastank, <laughs> Puddle of Mud, Uncle Cracker, even the names are humiliating. <laughs> now, like, here's a classic hit from 1997, said no DJ ever, unless it was a track off of OK Computer. Alright, so the scene, it was, a, it was a dire situation in that decade. They needed someone that could have come along and saved them, been a savior. And there I was with all this incredible musical talent and overwhelming charisma and sexual magnetism. And what was I doing during that decade instead? Did I answer that call? No. What I was doing during that decade, I was playing timpani in an orchestra and I was learning how to conduct, become an orchestral conductor. The world needed me and instead I was partying like it was 1899. And I'm so sorry. I'm sorry to all of you. And now, millennials, you just have to figure out the music thing for yourself. So, I'm, you know, we left you, my generation just left you nothing. You have to build it back up from the ground. But I can at least give you this one tip, you know, like, okay, so if you're in C major and you go to E, yeah, you can go to E minor, but what if you instead went to E major? 
Go from here to there. Wow. And did I think of that myself? No, it's actually been done. In fact, you don't even have to go back 40 years to do that. Like, let's put it in G and maybe I got it. She's also written for, if I remember correctly, Reductress and Exo Vein, is that correct? Yes. Uh, it's Callie Hack. Everybody gives me Callie Hack. Old milk jugs. 
Don't throw them out. They make great bird feeders for all your friendly bird friends. I keep mine in my house with all of my birds. <laughs> They're great companions. <laughs> Another thing you can reuse are old toilet paper rolls. When you're done with the paper, don't throw those cardboard things away. They can be so many different things, like a microphone, perhaps. Got a mustache, looking at you. Save the money, save the earth, listen up, guys. Hey, what up? Recycle. That was the other R. <laughs> Number seven, water bottles forever. As in, use your water bottles forever. I've been with mine for 12 years. It's growing a nice little ecosystem. Earth Day. <laughs> Grocery bags. Why? <laughs> Heating and cooling. Get out of here. Stop wasting our energy and my breath. <laughs> well, I sleep outside. <laughs> Number 10, can your food. If you don't eat all of your food, put it in a can. Give it to me. <laughs> I'm hungry. <coughs> Laundry. Stop it! <laughs> what a waste of precious resources like soap <laughs> and water. Oh, compost. I have a compost bin right by my bed. That's where I keep my midnight snacks I can't finish. Oh, I have a garden of Doritos growing. Harvest season soon. <laughs> Unplug all your electronics. Then put them in a bath and give them to me. <laughs> I like having things. It makes me feel safe. <laughs> Number 14. The coral reef is dying. It's just a sad fact and we should all give each other hugs because we're lonely. <laughs> Okay, save the earth. <laughs> okay, so as you may have noticed, there are six people reading op-eds tonight. It's a long time for you to just be paying attention on Broken. So we're going to have about ten minutes break. So if you want to like go to the bathroom, go out and smoke a cigarette, get another drink, do whatever... We're going to take about 10 minutes, and then we'll be back with the next three op-ed readers and the skewer debate. Thank you. Our next writer is going to be... Hey, so we lost a couple seconds of audio, but uh, the gist of it is Patrick Riley is the next reader. Here he is. My fellow Americans, it is with a heavy heart that I write you today on the death of hope in this year's elections. This year, I felt optimistic that together, we could defeat the billionaire class and show the world that small amount donors are people. <laughs> Bernie Sanders was our best chance for a more equitable and just society. And I believe that collectively, we are strong enough to take our country back. But I have let us down. <laughs> I knew that our campaign was over the minute I found out that my monthly contribution of $5 failed to process due to insufficient funds. <laughs> I knew I was just 
as corrupt as the darkest souls on Wall Street when I emptied my checking account to buy that pair of Oakley tactical sunglasses. <laughs> I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, how sorry I am for leading this campaign down a path of sure failure. Just when I thought that losing my mail-in ballot in March was the biggest mistake I could make. <laughs> Last night I couldn't sleep. I was too busy thinking about all the ways that my $5 could have saved the country if I hadn't been so insistent on polarized lenses. Hell, my $5 could have started Bernie's fund for his own pair of turbine rotor frames. Or maybe a comprehensive universal healthcare system. The possibilities were endless, and now we will never know about any of them. I give a bad name to small amount donors everywhere. My Oakley polarized lenses may protect my eyes from the sun's glare, but they can never filter out the injustice I have perpetuated. I could have probably stood in solidarity with other generous benefactors and changed American history forever, but I let my selfish desires undermine a campaign that would have made an impact, although not enough of an impact to damage Oakley's patented plutonite lens material. <laughs> No matter how many online petitions from Bernie that I sign, I can't seem to live down this guilt. I've betrayed the I, I've betrayed the Bernie Sanders and our political revolution. A typo that somehow made it funnier. You might think that I'm exaggerating the exaggerating the impact of five dollars. But if it's not a big deal, why was I crying in public an hour ago? <laughs> in fact, yesterday I received a letter from Goldman Sachs that said, and I quote, Good job sabotaging that historical movement to promote economic equality. We like your sunglasses. Are they Polaroid? <laughs> Unquote. It was on two-soap paper that I wrote my reply, You bet your ass they're polarized. I'll never forget the moment when I got that email from the Democratic Party telling me that my checking account was at zero. That same night, Bernie tweeted, and I, and I quote, and I quote? <laughs> quote, that's like a past tense. <laughs> that same night, Bernie tweeted, and I quote, fuck, we need $5, where is $5? <laughs> Unquote. All caps, by the way. <laughs> now, I've been brutally subtweeted before, but, but the stakes had never been higher. April was a turning point. It was make or break time for the Sanders campaign, and I didn't deliver. Five dollars could have prevented the massive drop in Bernie memes over the last two weeks. And if you haven't noticed this, it's only because your optics aren't as high, as, high definition as mine. <laughs> Oakley's M2 frame may enhance depth perception on mountain trails, but they did nothing for Bernie on the campaign trail. I'll just read it like this. Cool. Uh, hilarious. Um, thanks to me, the Sanders campaign chest was short all of April, which cleared the way for Hillary Clinton's victory in New York. Hillary supporters have been brainwashed. 
They can't tell the difference between her blue progressive brand and her red Warhawk policies. Unfortunately, that's just what happens when you don't have iridium lens tints to enhance color contrast. Just a month ago, I was a determined part of a political revolution. Thanks to my greed, however, I need to settle for a revolution in eyewear. <laughs> Think of all the people I've let down. Only a small fraction of Americans hold any political power, much like conventional lenses block only a fraction of UV rays. <laughs> was it worth throwing the hopes and dreams of millions away just so I could look like a badass? That is a question I ask myself every day. So, I'm sorry, Senator Sanders. You wrote an email to me every day asking me for help, and I still failed you. I'm asking for forgiveness from you and from all the Bernie supporters. If anything, this mistake has made me even more aware of the dangerous temptations of capitalism. It took but one email from the Water Tower Place Oakley store for me to throw away my values. <laughs> To my credit, I couldn't have looked cooler doing it. <laughs> Fellow small amount donors, I beg you to use your empathy and to put yourself in my shoes. Don't all hardworking Americans aspire to look like a Blackwater mercenary? <laughs> Isn't excessive glare a challenge that we all face? <laughs> the only consolation I can offer my brothers and sisters is that the next time I back a presidential candidate, I'll be rocking my Oakleys. And that's sure to give any politician a confidence boost. In closing, my fellow small amount donors, with the Clinton-Trump general election looming inevitable, our country faces an uncertain future. Will the American people ever be free from, it, from the chains of a big bank plutocracy? Will we ever adopt a foreign policy that encourages worldwide peace? Are the Oakley M2s the most tactical sunglasses ever made? <laughs> we cannot be certain about the answers to these questions. The only thing we can be certain about is Oakley's lifetime warranty. Thank you so much. You know, all joking aside, it is a bit of a tragedy that Bernie's been mathematically eliminated from this race, more or less. Too bad we're never going to see this country's political vision be unclouded by big money interests. Not, uh, however, we can have our vision not be clouded with Oakley brand sunglasses. Thank you. <laughs> I wrote that just now. Come on. Anyway, next up, oh my god, it's a, it's a comedian writing for the Risk Journal. What? Again? I know. It's Matthias Muschel. Matthias Muschel. Thank you, Cafe Mustache, very much. Let's see, now, does, this one, does this one work? Can you hear me, Cafe Mustache? All right. All right, well, I am Matthias Muschel. No, the other one. This is the one. Good feedback. No, Tom, they were talking to me regarding the microphone. Oh. All right. Here we are. This is your April sports update. 
with your sports correspondent, me, Matthias Muschel. And we begin with an update from the National Hockey League. The Chicago Blackhawks were eliminated from the first round of the playoffs by the St. Louis Blues. One of the most controversial moments in the series occurred when Chicago Blackhawk Andrew Shaw called a referee a fucking faggot after being charged a late-game penalty in Game 4 of the series. Though Shaw was suspended for one game, fined $5,000, and ordered to attend sensitivity training, some believe Shaw's actions warranted a more severe punishment. A statement released by GLAD argued that, as a public figure, and more importantly, a role model to sports fans of all ages, Andrew Shaw, Andrew Shaw disgraced himself and the National Hockey League with his insensitive, hateful outburst on national television. Using such homophobic language in 2016 is beyond inexcusable. It is downright retarded. <laughs> The statement went on to recommend that the NHL should hit that mouth-breathing mongoloid where it hurts. Right in his stupid retard wallet. Kobe Bryant retired from professional basketball last month after a 20-year career with the Los Angeles Lakers. Bryant had announced his plan to retire back in November, which gave current and former players alike opportunity to honor the future Hall of Famer as he played out the final season of his storied career. The legendary Michael Jordan made sure to honor Kobe with the most Jordan-esque gift possible. All 30 iterations of the Air Jordan shoe made by the most nimble-fingered boys in all of Indonesia. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. <laughs> Speaking of Michael Jordan, it appears more and more likely that a Space Jam sequel will go into production. Rumors have it that LeBron James will play the lead role in a movie that will be written for children and picked apart by 30-somethings who are probably great at pleasuring women. <laughs> the National Football League draft took place last week in Chicago. Just minutes before the first round of the draft, there surfaced a video of Laramie Tunsil, an offensive lineman for Ole Miss, smoking marijuana out of a gas mask. The picture was posted on Tumsel's own Twitter account, allegedly the doings of someone who had hacked the account. In the days leading up to the draft, the Ole Miss star had been projected to be selected in one of the first five picks of the draft. On the night of, however, after the drug-themed tweet, 12 teams passed on Tumsel, though eventually he was selected by the Miami Dolphins. Visibly relieved after the bizarre ordeal, Tunsil beamed as he told reporters, Wow, to be picked by the Miami Dolphins. I can't believe this is happening. 
Is this happening? I am very high right now, and I'm not sure any of this is real. The drama continued for Tunsil on draft night, immediately after he was selected by the Dolphins. Two pictures were posted to Instagram, again to his own personal account, of text messages between Tunsil and a coach, wherein Tunsil asked the coach for money. Tunsil has since admitted to taking money from his coaches, a direct violation of NCAA policy. In the alleged exchange, it appears Tunsil is asking for the money on behalf of his mother who needs help paying her light bill, which is high speak for electric bill. <laughs> In soccer news, perennial underdog Leicester City Football Club was crowned Premier League champion to cap off an unlikely season in a story that you've already heard all about, assuming you have at least one lame friend. <laughs> Retired pitcher and former broadcaster Kurt Schilling was fired from ESPN for what the network deemed a transphobic social media post. The company released a statement to separate itself from Schilling's comments, remarking that ESPN has no room within its organization for any employee who exhibits transphobic behavior or who publishes transphobic commentary. The post that got Schilling into hot water reads as follows. I am someone who believes that God made us who we are and that all humans should honor that. It is because of that belief that I feel compelled to share that I am transphobic. <laughs> By that, I don't mean that I think trans people should be treated any differently or should be subject to different laws than anyone. What I'm saying is that I am literally afraid of them. <laughs> I have no problem with the life decisions they've made, and I wish them all the luck in the world, but I have an irrational fear of each and every one of them. For instance, Last week, I was convinced a trans person was hiding in my bowl of soup. <laughs> I left the restaurant immediately, knowing that my fear was unfounded, yet unable to overcome it. I cannot shake this phobia, and I am asking for help. Schilling concluded by saying, please don't fire me for this. <laughs> Sticking with baseball, Detroit Tigers outfielder Tyler Collins was not published by Major League Baseball for giving fans the middle finger during a game last April. However, shortly after the incident, the Detroit Tigers demoted Collins to the Toledo Mud Hens, a minor league team. As I understand it, we have a live feed of a Mud Hens game happening right now. Tom, can we cut to that feed? Yes, we can. Oh, <laughs> <God. laughs> It's the same score and everything. Boy. Both Northside and Southside Chicago baseball fans have plenty to be happy about as both the Cubs and the White Sox have both already ascended to first place in their respective leagues. 
In case you were wondering, when was the last time that both the Cubs and the White Sox were in first place at the same time? The answer is, who gives a shit? <laughs> last week, Baseball Hall of Famer Cal Ripken Jr. and his wife Kelly officially divorced after 29 years of marriage. After the divorce was finalized, Ripken told reporters, ending my marriage with Kelly is by far one of the toughest things I have ever had to do in my life. He then added, though come to think of it, I suppose playing 2,632 consecutive baseball games was probably more of a challenge. You know, on second thought, I'd wager that divorcing Kelly was a real easy thing to do. All things considered, heck, I'd do it again if I could. Hold on, ladies and gentlemen. It's my understanding that there was a development from the Toledo Mud Hens contest. Can we get a feed of that, Tom? Oh, no! Oh, Tyler. He's doing the same thing, but it's only... <laughs> a little bit over. <laughs> nice hat. <laughs> Back to the National Football League. Cleveland Browns quarterback Johnny Manziel was recently indicted for an alleged attack on an ex-girlfriend, leading this reporter to wonder if some of these professional athletes might be bad eggs. <laughs> In a sports story out of this world, British astronaut Tim Peake strapped in a treadmill on the International Space Station ran the length of a full marathon as thousands of runners participated in the London Marathon back on Earth. Astronaut Peak's stellar achievement prompted malnourished children all over the world to say, boy, I sure am hungry still. <laughs> like some food. In our last story, Professional golfing bad boy John Daly turned 50 last week, and golf fans all across the country agree that the overweight, chain-smoking, recovering alcoholic is infinitely more likable than space cadet Tim Peake. <laughs> that was your sports update. Thank you all very much. You are thinking that there were visual jokes that won't translate to the podcast in that one. Wait till you see what Stephanie's got prepared. <laughs> Our next reader, as I have foreshadowed, uh, comedian, whiskey journal writer, he's also written for uh, Above Average, uh, Reductress, a bunch of places that I don't remember. You, you, you can see him on the internet. Look up her name. Uh, Stephanie Weber, come on. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I am a scholar. You are in good hands. Thank you. 
All right, I know you guys are tired, so I'm going to make this a tight 45. Um, so Prince died this month. Um, boo. Um, we don't have time for that. Uh, when people were posting songs and all that, I was kind of shocked to find how many people haven't seen the film Purple Rain. Who here has seen Purple Rain? Okay, yeah. It is playing at the theater down the street, in case you are inspired after this. Um, I watched this movie over and over again as a kid um, because I had no supervision. So I watched this incredibly sexy film over and over again. So this is a thorough explication of it. Um, that means explanation for the layman. So let's go to the first slide here. Who prints? Um, good question. Um, if you ask that, I do have to ask you to leave. I will not abide. I don't have time for this. I don't. I'm not going to explain. Um, so next slide, please. So the first character I want to introduce everyone is Morris Day. If you've seen any um, Jay and Silent Bob films, you know that they love Morris Day in the time, and that is inexplicable. Because he's kind of the worst antagonist I've ever seen in a film. He's a cartoonish guy. Everything he says is followed with like a <laughs> like that every time. He's super well-dressed. He has this guy named Jerome um, that we'll get to later that I think is a sex slave. I don't really know. <laughs> Jerome's dressed really well. He does anything Morris Day says, okay? Um, Morris Day, quote in the film, loves bitches. He loves them. He can't get enough of this stuff. Um... <laughs> Let's go on to the next slide here. Apollonia, um, big time LOL at that name. Um, okay, what? So, so she, she's the big time love interest. Um, her, her main objective is to make it. Uh, so, in fact, Morris Day, um, before I forget, when he tries to like get with her at one point, he tries to impress her by saying, and I quote, I'd love for you to see my home. It's so exciting. I have a brass waterbed. So, gives you like a little bit of what he's like, and she's not buying it. So she wants to make it in Minneapolis as a singer. They all are a big hit there. So she, she comes to the club that everyone plays at, and she has to speak to the manager, and she says, I quote, I can sing and dance pretty well, so maybe you can use me. That's like, it's like her whole, her whole dream is to, is, to, is to do this forever, and she's not selling herself at all. Also, my theory is that she's homeless because they're like, where can we call you? And she says, I don't have a phone. And then later in the film, Prince is like, let's hook up. And she's like, we can't go to my place. Bitch is homeless in Minneapolis and it's cold there. Next slide. So the film starts with let's go crazy. Like, obviously, right? Like, if you were going to write Purple Rain, duh. Um, he's, he's great. Everyone goes wild. The second he gets off stage, he just turns a corner and he sees her and he does that face. And that's it. And he just stares and he locks. And then she does it back. So they're just staring for honestly four seconds. It's just back and forth, back and forth. And then he does what you think he would, which is like this is her. And he just circles her, puts sunglasses on, and then stands there. That's exactly, that's it. That's it. And more stays on stage right now, and this is happening right here. And if you're like, I bet they say no words to each other. And when she turns around to say something, he's gone. You're correct. They're in love. They're in love. Next slide, please. So the movie can't just be about sex and music. So we gotta add something. And it's honestly like really boring. Because like, 
His parents are, yes, the worst actors of all time. The actors that play his parents are very bad, like absolutely terrible. They're probably just like some community theater, um, suburban Minneapolis actors that are just so bad. Um, and Prince like walks in on them fighting, like they're always fighting. And it's always like, the dad is always screaming, um, you have to clean the house. That's their domestic dispute. <laughs> That's always it. It's almost like I think they were told to improvise, and he's like, this is good enough. I'm not married. So Prince runs in and is like, stop it. And that's when you see this, and then his dad's a monster and always hits him. So um, I learned to do PowerPoint for this, so let's keep going. <laughs> so Laura stays the worst. So he decides, uh, we want Prince's band out of here, so what's gonna like knock him down a bit? A sexy girl group. So he decides, because he's amazing, to audition women, and he tells them in the audition, ladies, more ass wiggling. So it's great. Like, he's great. <laughs> he sits like this and says that. He sits, he has a cane, you guys. That's Jerome, and Jerome's just like, y'all, anything you say, master, this is good. Is Jerome his sex boy? I don't know. I think so. Do you guys know what a sex boy is? It's a term I'm trying to get to catch on, and it's not. It's Y'all want to say fuck boy? Take him down a notch. It's your sex boy. Um, so they leave, and Morris like, Day, they want to show you he's terrible. So he's like, I want to ask Apollonia to join this group. They're talking. Then this bitch shows up, and she, I think, is the worst actress of all time. She gets into his face. She's wearing an all-blue jumpsuit, which, honestly, like, A+. Plus. And she gets in his face, and she's like, Morris Day, I can't believe you. The way that you treat me and other women? And he just takes it with this face. And then he goes, Jerome. And Jerome throws her ass in a dumpster. <laughs> in a city dumpster, an industrial dumpster, picks her up, he tosses her in. And Morris Day watches and goes, Lord, such nastiness. And they keep going. That's it. Next slide, please. So the next scene is literally them falling in love. It's all of a sudden they're together. I don't know. So, like, she goes up. Like, he's always wearing this. And they're going on, on the motorcycle. And they go to the lake. And they're having a time. They're trying to get to know each other after they've, I think, spent the whole day together already. Uh, He's like, what, what, what you're all about? And she's like, I'm here to make it. And then he says, is that what turns you on? Making it? Like, as if he doesn't care. You know, like, I'm only doing this because I have to. You know, like, come on. Uh, what, what, what are you all about? Why are you wearing a blouse? So she, and she says, well, it would be nice for a change. Yeah, being famous would be nice for a change. I guess. I'll try it. And that's when he tells her he's not going to help her until she purifies herself in the waters of Lake Minnetonka. <laughs> and is that when we see titties? Oh, you better believe it's when we see titties. I was, I'm not, I was not going to include that picture because this is not an R-rated presentation. But then she takes this off and her bazongas are A+. They're really great. And she gets into the water and he's like, LOL, that's not Lake Minnetonka. You dumb bitch. And then he gets on his motorcycle and he leaves. <laughs> and she like gets her clothes. She's like, Prince, no, I'm naked. And he like laughs from a distance. He's watching her and he's like, guess I gotta help. Which like, what else were you gonna do, Prince? And he comes back, he comes back and he says, what is the greatest line of all time? Um, hold your horses. Let's go to the next slide. Don't get my seat wet. <laughs>
we in the biz call a double entendre? Um, because, like, no doubt that seat's gonna be Flood City. Like, <laughs> how long is that ride home? I don't know how, I don't know what lake they were at. Lake Harriet, I think. That's the, I've only been to Minneapolis once, and that was the thing I remember. So, for sure, that's a 20 minute motorcycle ride, and it's just like, oh, damp, well. So, let's go to the next slide. So this this is the scene that I always remembered as a kid. Um, Prince's band suddenly is mad at him. Uh, so he's got these two girls in the in the group named Wendy and Lisa, and they're like, "We want you to do our song. We're tired of your music." And his response to their legitimate feelings is to pull up a goddamn poppet. Look at this. <laughs> he pulls that out like it's okay, and everyone's like, "This just is how Prince is." And then he gives it a voice, and he responds to them. The moral of the story so far is that women shouldn't have dreams. He makes fun of Apollonia, and then he tells Wendy and Lisa, I'm not going to do your music, but he does it in a fucking puppet voice that's like, I don't want to do your music, my music's good. That is what it sounds like. He's a grown-ass man. Come the next slide. What is with the puppet? And the puppet started talking to Prince and saying, I'm all you need. And then Prince goes, and he's a puppy dog face. Like, that's acting. Let's go to the next slide. Because these two guys are in the room the whole damn time, and they're in the band. This guy's in the band. He's a doctor. They say no lies. Next slide. So things get pretty bad. Um, Apollonia does decide that making it is, is her true priority, so she joins... Morris Day's girl group, right? And that's when Prince displays very unreal behavior um, by slapping her in the face. He just slaps her in the face, um, which is very bad. And so she turns on him, his band turns on him, the club's like, I don't know if we're going to keep your band around. So he got to contemplate, and he does that. So let's go on. Let's go on to the next slide here. I don't remember what happened. Oh, then he performs, and it's very good. Every performance is really, really quite good. And he's got, like, lace on his eyes. So he's been contemplating, he's been doing some stuff, and then his dad kills himself. Okay, let's go to the next slide. <laughs> okay, so he performed, and it was like really, really good, and then Jerome shows up in his dressing room like a ghost. It's like, what the fuck is this, Jerome? Like, so Jerome comes up and he's just like, no one likes your music but you. It's full of feelings. This is like, that's what art is, you fucking dumbass. They act, everyone in this movie acts like Prince is doing something that's never been done before, which is like writing from the heart. You know what I mean? Like, they act like all the music should just be like, dance, 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 dance. And so Jerome is like, you should come to Apollonia's show tomorrow. <laughs> uh, so next slide. Apollonia's show is outrageous. It's basically stripping. She wears this, and every woman on, there's three women on stage, not six. The band is called Apollonia Six. She does this, and the crowd is loving it as if it's not stripping. Like, they're acting like this is good, clean fun. These two church ladies are in the crowd, and they're having a good time. This one, she's wearing us her Sunday best, you guys. They're having a good time. Let's go to the next one. Um, so then after the show, um, Apollonia kind of seems a fine with Morris Day. Like, honestly, she seems like she's down to clown. Like, they're gonna hang out. They're gonna hang out. He revealed this silk suit, and she was like, yeah, I'll get in your car. So they're about to get in his car, and then they hear motorcycle in the distance. 
Oh, but whoa, is it Prince? It is. He rides in on his motorcycle and knocks Morris Day into a pile of garbage. And then he comes around and he says, get on. And she does. Everyone is wet in this room. I always pause this scene and diddle till completion. all you need in life. I think of this scene all the time. Alright, next slide. So, okay, so like his dad kills himself. Right? Uh, who didn't see that coming? Their emotional depth. Uh, so, I don't know if this may sound a true story. Whatever. Uh, so, so then he's like, I'm sensitive now. I am woke. So, Prince decides to play Wendy and Lisa's song. And it just happens to be Purple Rain, which is like the best song. And it's also so long. So this is like a 10 minute segment where they're playing a song. And he's done with the song, and he's like, everyone hates me, they're all gonna hate me. No, they're cheering for him, he can't believe it. He comes out in this crowd, he kisses Apollonia, then he pushes her aside because he's gotta come back on for the encore. And wait, and that, and that is the next slide! His guitar comes! <laughs> he gets that stage, he picks this up, and this happens! Oh my god! But the best part for real is this. He yells, doctor, we know who he is now! I could achieve via the silk suit. <laughs> anyway, so we've reached the end of our op-ed, people. You might be thinking, what's, what's left? Is there something left? Yes, there is. Because every month there's a new story that one person's opinion cannot fully encapsulate. We have to have a debate. And you are going to decide who is correct. So let's get our debate ants up to the stage. First, we got, again, comedian and whiskey general writer, Andrew Bortz, get up here! Thanks, buddy. And we got Whiskey Journal founder, <clears throat> editor in chief, Kyle Scanlon. God damn, get up here! So, the way this debate works, our debate dance, these two beautiful boys, gonna get three minutes to present opening statements. I'm going to ask you questions. They're going to have to answer on the fly. Was, was I supposed to see that? Was that, was that private? It was forever. It was okay. a pre-debate ritual. Beautiful. And then they're going to get three minutes of closing. So what's the debate? Well, clearly, with the prince's death, he is a, one of the greatest artists of all time. Timeless. A man of multitudes. What is the best way to honor his memory? Andrew, what would you be arguing for? I will be arguing that the best way to honor the art and legacy of Prince is to regularly discuss chemtrails. <laughs> Kyle? Uh, I will be arguing that the greatest way and only way to honor Prince is to become a Jehovah's Witness. <laughs> <laughs> This sounds great. <laughs> That's a big nope, but 
Kyle, let's, let's kick it off with you. All right. Andrew's a smart guy. He's a cool guy. You see him posing back there. Got a long leather jacket. He's racially ambiguous. He's got a lot of things going for him. Andrew's going to tell you that the only way to honor Prince is to talk about Kim Trails all the time. All the time. All the time. Kim Trails, one after another. Maybe I didn't use that correctly because no one really knows what Kim Trails are. Maybe they do. Make some noise if you know what Kim Trails are. Okay. I feel less embarrassed about my Google search then. Because I was like, what am I fighting against? I have no idea. And then I Googled it, and Google was like, did you mean I'm high and want to bore people at parties? And I was like, sure. But for real, like, have you ever even just heard someone talk about like a 9-11 conspiracy for like three minutes? Like that shit is the boringest thing you can ever hear. They're like, yeah, we all got, we all saw Zygust or whatever that fucking movie was. What is that movie? I don't fucking know. I don't read things. Uh, I don't. It's just Andrew's gonna tell you that the only way to honor one of the greatest musicians of all time is to babble on and on and on about how our government controls the weather. Like, that's what he's gonna tell you. That's what he's gonna tell you is that. The best way to honor one of the greatest musicians of all time is to just annoy strangers with why you think it's cloudy outside. <laughs> That's what he's going to tell you. This isn't how Prince should be honored. Yes, Prince believed in chemtrails, but he also wore assless pants and fired an assistant for making eye contact with him. <laughs> So, y'all make mistakes. Please don't punish Prince for this. Don't reward Andrew for this. As most of you know, Prince was a Jehovah's Witness. Um, and maybe, and Andrew um, is going to tell you that that's not the best way to honor him. But if becoming a Jehovah's Witness isn't the best way to become, isn't the best way to honor Prince, then I have to ask one question. Why did Andrew's mom become a Jehovah's Witness? Oh, that's not just like a bad burn. True or false, Andrew, your mom is a Jehovah's Witness. My mom is a Joho. <laughs> Keep it going for Kyle. Keep it going for Kyle. Andrew, make it happen. Thanks, Tom. Uh, my name is Andrew Voris, and I am a Prince lover, a chemtrail awareness advocate. Um, and I'm here to warn you about the dangers of being persuaded by the speaker you just heard, Kyle Scanlon. Um, let's set aside the fact that I've got Jehovah's Witness beliefs flowing through my blood for a moment. And instead, let's focus on the facts. And of course, whenever I say facts, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? 
Chemtrails, motherfuckers. <laughs> now, for the 55 to 62% of you who did not clap with uh, a display of awareness for what chemtrails are, get ready for some truth. You didn't expect that tonight, did you? Huh? You're like the skewer. They hit soft, maybe a little hard. Now, I'm going to beat you over the fucking head with some chemtrail knowledge here. But allow me to just paraphrase what the artist formerly known as a living person named Prince once <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. Is he alive still? You want to know what happened to him? You know what he you know why he died? Stay tuned. Chemtrails. You know why? Because chemtrails are, as Prince described, he said, you know, whenever I was a boy, I used to lay in my yard and look at planes fly in the sky. And then one day, those planes started leaving trails behind them, and we all started fighting and not getting along with one another. <laughs> oh, you're probably laughing at that truth because you're, 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 brain synapses aren't firing correctly because the inhalation of an atmosphere that's been offered, altered by chemtrails, miss. <laughs> I can't tell if you're raising your eyebrows at me out of excitement or a neurological disorder due to chemtrails. <laughs> now, that is the conspiracy theory, you know, what some people who don't like to accept the truth, they say it's a conspiracy truth. You know, folks that still believe we landed on the moon, folks that believe that Barack Obama was born in the United States, you know, fools that you have to dine with at holidays a couple times a year. Not like me and that one cousin you have that know the truth. Trails are indeed those trails you see behind the planes flying in the sky, and those planes, due to a global, international, private business, corporate autocracy, government conspiracy, are spraying all kinds of things in the atmosphere to control you, to the control the environment, and maybe even to make you not aware of the last six albums Prince put out. <laughs> Tragic. Yeah, I know. So what do you need to be doing to honor Prince? Do what he did. He went on national television multiple times and talked about chemtrails. <laughs> you know how many times he went on public television? Well, let's just say television. And talked about Jehovah's Witness. Ism. I think never. But the bigger point here is, you know, Prince knew what was important. He only bothered people with his notions of what it is to be a Jehovah's Witness privately and respectfully by interrupting them on Sunday afternoons while they were trying to watch football in Minnesota by knocking on their doors and trying to hand them pamphlets that had... Littered like, like pictures and soft focus of a man holding his pet lion in paradise. <laughs> but when it came to chemtrails, nah, he knew it took more than that. 
He needed to get on television. He needed to make sure that it got into the public consciousness so that we all knew that our brains were being altered. And the last thing I want to say is, if you want to compare celebrating and speaking all the time about chemtrails to Jehovah's Witnesses, I want to just share something with you. This is a fact. This is a Jehovah's Witness fact, being the son of a Jehovah's Witness, that every time you sin as a Jehovah's Witness, you have to go knock on another door and tell another person about the truth. Now, this isn't really true, Kyle, but... <laughs> so, you may be thinking, oh, being a Joho is cool. Prince did... No, Prince was Prince before he became a Joho. You're not Prince. You're not going to get any passes. If you, like, walk into the Kingdom Hall and talk about oral sex, you're going to be blackballed from there. Prince could get away with that. You know, and for the most part, he curtailed most of his sins. I mean, he did have that homosexual affair with Dave Grohl, and he had to go door to door for like two weekends to cover that one. <laughs> but after that, it was good to go. So folks, ask yourselves, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? Not celebrate birthdays or bond with that one cousin who's been twice divorced? <laughs> That's what I got. Beautiful. Both of you. A, a plus tops. Mm. I love it. Mm. So now it's the Q&A portion. I'm going to ask some questions. You might say, Tom, have they been given time to prepare their answers? Mm. No. <laughs> no. This is going to test their extemporaneous ability to defend their true beliefs that I didn't assign to them. I did. Um, so we're going to start with Kyle. Kyle, if you're going to go ahead and join a strange religion like the Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, why not just go all out and join a for real cult? Am I doing this to, can, wait, can I ask you a question? Is this like a spelling bee? I mean, yeah. Can we you want. use it in a sentence? Um, can, is this to honor Prince? Yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I'm just asking. I'm just having fun. <laughs> I, I think that you do this because you want to honor Prince, because Prince is great. And he's, like, the, the whole reason is to honor Prince. Uh, and I forgot the question, to be honest with you, because it was so big. Here's another question for you. Uh, so when you're standing outside of the train station with your cardboard stand full of weird literature, what Prince song is most appropriate for that situation? Uh, probably a Wind Dumps Cry. <laughs> Or just change the words to would pigeons cry. And... <laughs> There'll probably be pigeons there. <laughs> I didn't get time to think it out, guys. <laughs> we got more questions, or do I gotta uh, keep uh, pretending to yeah, answer this? You're done, dude. Okay. <laughs> oh shit, it's up to him? Oh man. Yeah, yeah, you. Oh, Alright, oh, I might have let you have this. Questions go back and forth, my man. So once, while speaking of chemtrails, Prince remarked that there were eight U.S. presidents before George Washington. <laughs> Can you name any? And if not, how do you explain your unacceptable ignorance? Um, what I would like to do is uh, refer everybody to the hit 
pop song by Prince and the New Power Generation from the 90s, Seven. Who here is familiar with Seven? Yeah. It's nice. Thanks. (laughs) I agree. It's a nice one. I appreciate that. Seven refers cryptically in the lyrics to seven out of the eight of those. And the eighth is Prince. You're not done. I got another question. Sit down like an asshole. What advice... What advice do you have for Prince fans who want to get into chemtrail talking but are put off by the just staggering evidence that they don't exist? (laughs) You know, first I want you to define staggering and then I want you to define evidence. Um... Because whatever evidence, evidence say that you're describing certainly didn't uh, certainly didn't have an impact on Prince himself. Uh, whenever he went on national television and advised everybody to listen to Dick Gregory's um, well-known, well-founded observations on how planes flying in the atmosphere are putting out chemicals that will not only give us bipolar disorder, but change the very atmosphere which we depend on for existence on this planet. Are you going to try to argue with me on that shit? Um, I think he went on to later write a song about like whips and chains and eating breakfast. Have you done that, Tom? I have not. Do you want to argue with Prince? I'm just asking questions, man. I know, you can't argue with him because he's dead from chemtrails. I know. Boo! Boo! Death from chemtrails! Yay, talk about chemtrails! Do you want another prince to die from chemtrails? Oh, sorry, there are no more princes. It's like, it's like global climate change zeroed in on prince by chemtrails. Meanwhile, you're like, I should not celebrate my birthday or Christmas anymore! Don't go the Joho route. By the way, I just want to take a moment here while we're debating to honor one of the uh, greatest debaters of our generation uh, who just had a sad moment here uh, this week, uh, Ted Cruz. Um, Ted Cruz and, and, his, and his wonderful wife and his uh, two wonderful daughters, uh, Emily, uh, Tony, and Gabriel. Our hearts were early with all of them. Well handled to both of you. Kyle, good job uh, pointing out that one of my questions had nothing to do with Prince. <laughs> Didn't think of that. So now we're, uh, oh my god. I think we're, re- we're witnessing a real moment here. I think it's time for closing statements. Andrew, you went second in the, in the opening, so go first now. <laughs> I just like your smile.
<laughs> Folks, um, I think if anything I've said has hopefully resonated with you, it's that we should all respect um, any faith any of us chooses to take in as our way of understanding who we are and the universe that we live in, how we should treat everybody. But that becoming a Jehovah's Witness is a pretty silly option. <laughs> Seriously, I didn't get a birthday present after I turned seven. That's fucked up. <laughs> but as uh, our fellow writer and uh, esteemed comic Stephanie had pointed out here when discussing the film Purple Rain earlier, which is a, a film with all kinds of nuance and, and excitement. <laughs> but the music, the music Purple Rain is what we always remember, and that's what moves us. And it's important for all of us to know that Prince, who was private with how he expressed himself for most of his life and expressed, expressed himself through his art, knew early on about chemtrails <laughs> and knew the only way to tell the world about chemtrails was through some abstract thing. How are these chemtrails affecting the human experience? You know how they are? Through the purple rain that's coming through the altered atmosphere. How come? Maybe I'm like my father. Chemtrails have fucked with his head. Right? I'm gonna smack my family around because I'm thinking because of these chemtrails. Now, do you want to keep quiet? Hush, hush, don't talk about chemtrails. It ain't, it ain't right. No, be brave. Talk about chemtrails. Honor Prince, all right? Thank you. Alright, I'm not gonna move away from the microphone like some weirdo preacher that's like, I'm gonna bring the congregation together by coming together. I'm not gonna do it. You guys, I respect you. You wanna hear my voice in a loud voice. Those aren't the right words. Can you do it? I don't have to be smart all the time. Why? Because I've got the better argument. Because believing in chemtrails is silly. Becoming a Jehovah's Witness is also very silly. But still, Andrew's mom is one, and why are we not talking about that more? <laughs> like, for real, he's against it, but his mom's one? Like, uh, come on, man, she gave you life. I don't know. Like, if you want to honor Prince, the only way to do it is to become a Jehovah's Witness. Because Prince, like, loved his faith. Like, he did. He, like, Went door to door to talk to people. You talked. You said something about this earlier about him going uh, during Vikings games. What you left out was some very important details. Is that uh, he went to a Jewish family's home on Yom Kippur <laughs> during a Vikings game, and then uh, when the woman answered the door, uh, she thought the prince wanted their house to be in a music video. <laughs> That's how cool and not scared of Jehovah's Witnesses people are. 
They're like, oh, cool, now I'm going to be a superstar? Amazing. Thank you, Prince. Uh, so, he also said that, like, going door-to-door, sometimes people act surprised whenever he would show up. Because he's fucking Prince. Like, why would Prince show up at your house? Because he has a good message for you, guys. That's why. He has a good message. Uh, so, when you're going door-to-door, when you guys all become Jehovah's Witnesses, and I hope that you do. <laughs> I truly hope that you do, at least for one bed. Uh, When you become Jehovah's Witnesses and you go door to door, I hope that you go into it with the confidence and the flair that Prince would. Uh, And I hope, like, one of my favorite things about Prince in general is just that he made religion cool. Uh, And I don't know if you've, like, looked at a lot of religion in the past, Pretty uncool. <laughs> Bad reputation. Uh, like, my, my favorite thing after he died, Talib Kweli uh, tweeted one of my favorite things about Prince being religious. And I, be a cool religious person. Like, that exists. That can exist. Prince was a religious person. You can be a cool religious person. Uh, he tweeted something that, uh, right when Prince died. He said, uh, once I was in a club with Prince in L.A., when 2 a.m. came, he kicked all the dudes out, and it was just us and the women. Then he read from the Bible. <laughs> no women left after that. Dude, that is amazing! How are you arguing that? Oh. Yeah, Talib Kweli had another thing about how, like, because you can't do so many things. They're going to be bad. And you think, like, oh, never hearing curse words again. Or never even saying them. Uh, that'd be probably the worst part about being super religious. But no, it's not. Because sometimes, uh, you can do another thing that Talib Kweli said that Prince did to him. Uh, he said, once I was in a club DJing in LA, and Prince came up to me, and he said, uh, <laughs> and he said, I didn't get all dressed up to hear these curses, and walked away. <laughs> Which is real fun. <laughs> Be a fun religious person. That's all I can ask you, is to be a fun religious person. A lot like Andrew's mom. (laughs) So that's a good debating. The debate's not done until we determine a winner. The real winner is their romantic relationship, which will fulfill them both. The way this is going to happen... So I'm going to ask you guys who you think won. You're going to clap for the person you thought won, obviously. The person you thought lost, still clap. Just clap softer. It's me to not clap. And you might be asking, Tom, what are they fighting for? They're fighting for this. This is the most elusive prize of all time. It's the divine skewer of purity. You might be thinking, Tom, this is a piece of garbage no one would want. Shush. I, I don't want to hear that. You, sir, you're going to determine unbiased. Who gets the louder applause? So, who here believes that the best way to honor Prince talk about chemtrails all the time? Well done. Well done. Who who here believes the best way to honor Prince is to become a Jehovah's Witness?
usurped if you don't... Whatever. <laughs> Judge, who's the victor? Unbiased. Unbiased. Are you biased? <laughs> Was I wrong to ask you? I am, but I'm going chemtrails. Yeah! Oh, shit! Maybe I'm like my mother. <laughs> Fuck you, how long did you have that in your back pocket? Okay, two things before I do the little thing that ends the show. One, uh, Skewer is monthly, it's every month. Next month is uh, gonna be the first Wednesday of the month, as it always is, 8 p.m. here, Cafe Mustache. It's great, you should come if you want. If you don't want to come, you can listen to our podcast. We record them, put them on the podcast places. Uh, also, you may have noticed the donation jar on the way in. You don't have to pay, you don't want to. But like, if you like what you heard, all the money goes to the writers. They did work for you to entertain you. You should pay them for it. That's cool. Yeah. That's all I got. <laughs> Anyway, to close the show, we do these little things where the host just gets the crap that no one wrote about. This month was terrible. All months are terrible. If you follow the news, you'll discover this. But April was especially bad, starting, of course, with April Fool's Day, the worst holiday, the holiday where you celebrate punishing your friends for trusting you. And this April, you couldn't stop a Republican from yammering about bathrooms. I mean, I assume because a small windowless room explicitly in which to piss and poop is where they feel most at home. <laughs> but for real, in Oxford, Alabama, you can get put in jail for using a bathroom other than for the gender you were given at birth. Ted Cruz said that trans people should not be able to use any public bathrooms. I'm not going to go into the reason why all this bathroom nonsense is dumb as hell and literally just transphobic. You've heard all the reasons before, and if you haven't, just think about what the reasons might be for a second, and you will have heard them all before. No, I'm here to tell you that the real tragedy is that this distracts from the true problem facing public restrooms today. I am, of course, talking about the groups of horrible bros who go like, Boom! Did you hear about the Hawks? My good man, zip, plop, piss, allow me to make direct eye contact with you. Do you have any plans for the weekend? Please respond. Did you know I'm actually Satan? <laughs> I literally once left a stall at work, and a true bro monster who had been actually yelling about the hawks the entire time asked me, what's up? Dude, we're in a bathroom. One of two things. I just came out of a stall. Take a guess. In Nicolas Cage news, rejoice, because it's another precious month where Nicolas Cage news isn't that he's drunk in public or challenging people to duels or generally living his life like some sort of revenant on an endless quest to reclaim the soul he lost a thousand years ago. This month... Nicholas Cage was in the news for fighting his good friend Vince Neal, fighting his friend Vince Neal, on the Las Vegas Strip in order to keep the Motley Crue frontman from assaulting a woman. Which, incidentally, 
is the trashiest possible sentence constructible in the English language. <laughs> Don't believe me? Would you believe that Vince Neil was wearing camouflage cargo shorts? Because of course he was. I, I honestly love this news. Nicolas Cage is basically Cameron Poe from Con Air in real life. Just the hero we need sowing reckless destruction all over Las Vegas for justice. Oh, and uh, by the way, did you remember how this month saw the biggest leak of data of all time uh, that exposed how tax cheats hid literal billions of dollars from their governments? Yeah, me neither. I'm talking, of course, of the Panama Papers, which revealed that the Panama Papers is a great title for a sexy political thriller, which will now never be able to get used. <laughs> think about it. Just think. We have feisty Panamanian reporter Lucia Fuego uncovering both a government cons conspiracy and her own sexuality as she gets wrapped up in Senator Enrique Faloso's web of both intrigue and light BDSM. It writes itself. I'm almost finished now just talking on stage. I can see you all going to pre-order it on instinct alone. And now it will never get to be because of this data leak selfishly using this dope-ass title. The leak, of course, was instantly forgotten because when you leak a terabyte of uncurated data, it could literally be ways, a list of ways to become immortal, and people would still be like, wall too long. <laughs> there was also no shortage of vomit-inducing Ted Cruz news in April. The only type of Ted Cruz news. We had John Boehner calling him Lucifer, which is, of course... Ludicrous, because uh, Lucifer is the morning star, a beautiful, shining, and enchanting angel, uh, God's favored boy, whereas Ted Cruz is a gibbering goblin whose anus drips wet, weird red oil at all times. We got his new running mate, Carly Fiorina, who once again proved her expertise at running things into the ground. I'm, I'm getting something on my phone here. Don't worry. Uh, at least now his monumentally unfortunate children will not have to endure a living scarecrow of a woman publicly warbling a nightmare song about them. If you forgot what it sounded like, it sounded like this. I know two girls that I just adore. <laughs> so happy I can see them all. <laughs> I love that she thinks that the problem with the song is that it's boring. <laughs> the real thing that surprises me is that it was sung at any other time other than while she is flaying the daughters alive. I would not be surprised to learn if the, if the cruise daughters are lookalikes and the real cruise daughters uh, have their dried skin stuffed in a blood-stained suitcase on the cruise campaign bus. We also had a female Ted Cruz lookalike publicly declaring that she is willing to star in pornography based on that resemblance. I guess if you can fill a niche, you, you gotta fill that niche. <laughs> Anyway, April can go eat a hundred dicks. Let's hope May is a bit better. 
You may notice Tom Wacker talking about how Ted Cruz jumped, dropped out of the race, along with John Kasich, so that Donald Trump is the official nominee of the GOP. That's because that technically happened in May. So if you want to hear about that, yeah, comes in next month's show. What? Great segue. I'm done. Eric, he's my co-producer, and he is just getting out from under the thumb of grad school. <laughs> Holy shit. Congratulations. I'm dead inside, Tom. Yes. Uh, uh, so I'm very excited to be back hosting the Skewer next month. June 1st, we have some amazing, incredible guests next month. Ian Belknap, uh, live, lit, extraordinaire in the city, uh, and Dan Abramovitz, who is a clickhole writer and uh, New Yorker writer Extraordinaire, awesome, it's gonna be a great show. Come on back Everyone's next extraordinaire. Month. Everyone's extraordinaire. Everyone, everyone next month, including Erica Price will be back. She was our first ever skewer writer, uh, first performer. You may have seen her meme about ranking cereals, it was on Kotaku. Yes. <laughs> so she will be here next month, and so I hope to see you all uh, June 1st, 8 p.m., Cafe Mustache. Have a great night, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening to the Skewer Podcast. Uh, I know this was a long one, but, you know, hopefully you still listened to it and still liked it. I liked it. Uh, if you did, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, uh, Google Play, uh, or you can come to one of the live shows at Cafe Mustache the first Wednesday of every month at 8 p.m. Uh, you can also like us on Facebook. Uh, if you want to be in the show, you know, email us at skewerchicago at gmail.com. We like having new people. It's cool. Uh, we also, me and Eric, run a pop culture podcast, You Don't Understand, where we uh, bring our most beloved niche culture and uh, introduce it to people who have never seen it before, see what they think about it. Uh, it's pretty good. You can find it anywhere you can find a podcast. Uh, thanks again for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time.